I actually still have nightmares that I forgot to feed myself. You can hear their starving screams. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, we join a group of recovering academics to ask, how do you know when it's time to leave academia and find a career outside of the ivory tower? Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 78. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Hey there, Dan. Josh, what's happening? We've got a special treat for our listeners today. I love treats. Uh, the biggest treat is they don't have to just listen to us. Uh, I guess that is a treat. We just got done having a really fantastic conversation with Clady, Amanda, and Ian from the Recovering Academic Podcast. Yeah, if your podcatcher is not totally full... Uh, I think a lot of our listeners would enjoy this podcast. It's, uh, it, it's these three people who have made the transition out of an academic research track and into a variety of different careers. And, and so it's really fascinating to follow them on their journey. Um, it's scary. It's nerve-wracking. It's exciting. So I think you'll enjoy hearing what they had to say. Yeah, and they invited us on to, to their show to have a conversation about the question, how do you know when it's time to step off the academic track and into something else. And I'm not sure if we totally answered that question, but we had what I thought was a really interesting conversation. All right, well, let's take a listen. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Recovering <laughs> Academic Podcast. I'm here with Ian and Amanda, as always. Hello. But today... We are receiving the visit of Joshua Hall and then from the Hello PhD podcast. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. <laughs> In case you don't know, the Hello PhD is other amazing podcast about academia and science and how to survive graduate school that you should totally check it out. Guys, why don't you talk a little bit about your podcast and how it fits together with ours? Sure. First, hi, Clady, Amanda, and Ian. Thanks for having us. Hello. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. This is uh, this is a real treat for us. Yeah, I mean for us too. Like I, we're interviewing in our series too, and like it's so cool talking to other people and doing a joint podcast. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we've listened to a few of, of your episodes, too, and I think we are certainly kindred spirits. Yeah, the, the theme that I think runs through both our shows is the desire to talk about the stuff that nobody talks about when you are in your science training. And, and, exactly. And you guys are talking about such an important topic, which is what do you do if you leave the nest, I guess, if you want to call it that, and and we're so interested in that too, and I think just by bringing it out in the open, putting it on a podcast, making it public, uh, it's such a service to the people who are going down that path and feeling like they're the only one on earth who's ever done this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm actually still still in academia, just in a very very different capacity than when I was in grad school. But you know, Dan and I, we went to graduate school together. That's that's when we met. 
And, you know, I realized because I work a lot with science trainees, with grad students and postdocs in my job, and I realized that a lot of the things that students and postdocs and other trainees are going through today are some of the very same struggles and challenges that Dan and I went through and our, our friends and colleagues went through back when we were in grad school. And we thought, you know what? These conversations need to be had out loud so that people realize that they're not alone in their struggle. Because sometimes some of the biggest challenges in science are thinking, you're looking around thinking, man, this must just be me. Maybe this, there's something wrong with me. When in reality, it's not you. It's just uh, part of the process. Um, and in some cases, um, there are some things wrong with the process. So I think another passion Dan and I have is we think science is so important that it's really, it's really critical that we try to make training a better experience so we're not losing people from science because the training process itself sucks. Yes. <laughs> the three of us are here nodding our heads. Vigorously. Right. We're nodding. Yeah. I guess we should say something because it's an audio format. Something. Yes. The thing is, we usually drink a beer while we're recording our podcast normally. Yes. Mm -hmm. But we normally don't talk about it. But as a treat to our Hello PhD guests, as they do start every episode of their podcast, drinking a beer and discussing a little bit about the beer, we decided to do the same. Mm -hmm. So we are, Dan, why don't you talk about the beer that we're drinking? Okay, I don't know who picked this, but I am impressed. Um, so we had to find a beer that everybody could find in their local store. And I think we're in four cities right now, yes. right? <laughs> yeah. So... Coming to you this week is the Ballast Point Brewing Company Unfiltered Sculpin Extra Hopped India Pale Ale. Um, I've got the bottle in front of me, and it looks like, is that a lionfish? I don't know what brand of fish that is, but it's a kind of a scary. Have you ever caught it one of those, Josh? Mm, never yeah, caught one of those. I, I think that is, is what it? that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, look at that. My marine biology knowledge. And I will say this is, so we had a little email conversation about just the right beer for this monumental occasion. And we threw out the Sculpin because the Ballast Point Sculpin is a solid IPA. And mm -hmm. thankfully, um, the good people of the Recovering Academic Podcast drink IPAs. Yes. yes. <laughs> is that true? All of you do? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean this one is actually pretty good. Like, I've just opened my first one, like, in, well, ever, and I'm drinking it. And I also appreciate that they have a sextant as their logo on the can. Do you have a, oh, a yeah. special knowledge of the sextant? Well, not particular, but like that, for we're talking about, about <laughs> academic careers and, I mean, wayfinding, I guess, is the the term. Oh, yeah, wow. Way to tie it in. Not navigating, but um, yeah. Sorry, that's super nerdy, but... Like, <laughs> no, we haven't had enough to drink for you to find metaphors in the beer yeah. yet. So let's Here's let's. Episode uh, we that's great a week though. Ago where I literally am like, well, I'm not going to say anything more profound than that, so we can stop. <laughs> <laughs> Not that we're at that moment right now, but anyway, the sextant thing is kind of cool. And like the beer is good too. We owe it to Clady. She actually went out and found not just the Sculpin, which I think they have year round, but this is the limited edition unfiltered Sculpin. Yes. So if you're listening to this podcast, you better go get it now because it won't be around yeah, long. This is a limited it is hazy if, if you pour it into a glass. Yeah, this is limited edition. Yeah. And that's why when I went to the store, I was going to get the, the Sculpin and then I was like, I saw this one and I was like, oh my God, unfiltered, extra hops. And I was like, I have to get that. I'm sorry. And actually it was funny because I tweeted the picture and then the tweet was retweeted by uh, the the brewery. Oh, really? 
Yes. Is that right? <laughs> That's great. Well, I will say also there's there's a reason, there's a method to our madness of why we talk about beer at the beginning of our show, not just because we're hopeless drunks. Um <laughs> That's part of it. Uh, but the main, the main reason Dan and I decided to do that was in grad school, a lot of the times that we supported each other and talked about these issues was at the bar over a beer with some of our fellow grad students. And so, so to us, beer is kind of linked with uh, this camaraderie uh, that we had in grad school. Thank you. Thank you guys for making us feel welcome. <laughs> yeah. And this beer, uh, thanks Josh for picking the beer. I think that was a very good... Uh, pick. Yes. So the idea, actually, I had the idea first uh, about, um, well, I was listening to the Hello PhD podcast, uh, the episode when they were talking about uh, when research sucks. Mm -hmm. And it was a couple of months ago. And it's it's really good episode. And they trying to um, tell all the graduate students like, hey, uh, graduate school is hard, research is hard, hanging there, it gets better. So it was a really good episode. But then I started to think of our episode, our podcast, the Recovering Academic Podcast. And I was thinking, well, sometimes your research sucks, but sometimes it's just that you're done with academia and you don't want to go that route. So how do you know when research your research sucks or when you're done? And that was what the idea that kind of prompted us to be all here together and do the joint uh, recovering PhD academic podcast. <laughs> Hello, recovering PhD. <laughs> the crossover episode. I love it. <laughs> So, so not to not to go straight to the punchline, but but when you posed that question, there was one very specific episode that Dan and I recorded a while back, and he probably knows exactly which one I'm talking about. It was <laughs> one, he has no clue which one I'm talking about. Um, but we had a guest on our show that we we talked to, and she had written an article. I think it was published through LinkedIn, possibly. And her name was Dara Wilson Grant. And she is, among other things, very. Uh, she's a leader in our Office of Postdoctoral Affairs at UNC Chapel Hill. And that's one of the questions that we pose to her because she spends a lot of her time counseling postdocs specifically who are wrestling with that exact question mm -hmm. of, you know, is this just hard right now, like a normal challenge of science, or is this the way I feel indicative that I need to leave and do something else? And And the thing that she said, which we thought was profound, was that, Sometimes when it's time to go, you know, you'll have a you'll have a success in the lab or something that goes right. And instead of this really this really excited, fulfilled feeling like, all right, my experiment worked or I got my paper published, you just feel kind of neutral. Yeah. You know, so not necessarily how you feel when things are a struggle because struggles are struggles, but when things aren't a struggle, how do you feel? Do you feel very fulfilled? Do you feel excited about your accomplishments or do you feel just kind of meh? And if the answer is meh, then maybe you, that's leading you to um, this idea that there's something else out there that could make you uh, feel a little more fulfilled. That's what made me yes. decide to leave. Yeah, Amanda, I listened to uh, one of your first episodes, and I think you talked about that. You had a description of some experiments that you had gotten to succeed. I, I don't know if you can retell that story for us. 
Yeah, so I was working really hard to get these experiments to work, um, trying to like, they had about a million different details to optimize and get them to be successful. And I had done this whole series of work and it was ready to be published. And instead of being like really excited and being like, yes, I know something that nobody else in the world knows right now because I've seen this problem. I was just kind of like, oh God, now I've got to write. <laughs> and now there's one more thing for me to do. And just like, instead of being like, yay, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And that's what made me decide that I needed to leave or that I should leave. I mean, here's where I'll complicate things a little bit by saying, here's the thing <laughs> oh, that boy. makes it more, can make it more difficult is that, okay, fine. Like it's, you're not excited about that research question because like, even if things have gone well, and then is it because of, you know, they, you have to write and like, you don't like writing with your PI and you know that the manuscript's going to sit on their desk for seven months before it gets back to you to get published maybe. And, you know, is it just that lab that you're in and like the people that you're, your immediate colleagues you have to interact with every day that are making it, so difficult that you don't care and like another context like if you were a postdoc in another lab or an academic someplace else would it be a lot different and i mean i don't have a good answer to that but i mean it's like you know if it's true that like you know it's like yeah i just don't care about research anymore and like that's your feeling even when something's gone well then fine but like i think it's can be hard to divide whether it's literally like where you are very locally in that specific lab or yeah, versus, you know, is it academia? I think it's a really good question. And it makes me think about um, when I was in graduate school, I was miserable the whole time, as Josh can attest to. And I think, you know, looking back, I wish that I had um, been sensible enough to go get some mental health services and to have some resources available, because I think overall, my mood was affected. I think thing, you know, in general, um, I was less excited. I, I even the things that maybe would have been interesting to me, I was less interested in because grad school was so bad. I mean, I think these are some of the symptoms of yes. depression. Um, so I, I totally get your point. I think I think there are cases where mm -hmm. it does get bad enough that the the entire emotional state is affected by by research. But but I also think you know I had enough signs at that time where. Even when, when my experiments went well, I, I remember a very distinct time where I had done some um, immunofluorescence assays and I was going to put them on the slides and then kind of go home for the night because it was pretty late. And um, the, one of the, my lab mates was still there with me. He like grabs the slides out of my hand and runs down the hall to the microscope room because he was so excited about the results of my experiment. And I was just like, oh, this will wait. You know what I mean? So... Um, I, I got to see that stark contrast between how I felt about my um, maybe awesome results and how somebody else felt who was actually really into this thing. Like bring up another example if people want something to go listen to where like a very healthy attitude towards research and science. Um, there's the Taproot podcast, which is plant scientists interviewing other plant scientists. And one of the hosts, uh, Liz Haswell, she was a postdoc for, I think, over a decade. And you know, incredibly great researcher, just like it took her forever to break through to become a PI, which she now is, and a great one doing great work. But, um, you know, she was just like, yep, driven by the question, love science, like, you know, this is my path, like, I will stick to it. Yes. 
but I feel that we can even complicate things a little bit more <laughs> because in my case, <laughs> I loved academia. I really loved science and I had that thing that I cannot imagine like what Dan, the situation that Dan described. I could be in the lab until like 3 a.m. in the morning and I could not leave if I didn't see my results, you know, like, like plotting the results was the more exciting part of everything and and I really loved that and that was I had the passion for science but the thing that drove me out of academia and I thought that I didn't want to do that it was all the rest that come attached to that the writing grants the heading to publish or perish and getting money and and all of those and the stress that when you, whenever you're in academia, it seems that you have to be, you always have to be writing, you always have to be working. There's no weekend. Like on the weekends, if I had one day off, I was, I will feel guilty because okay. I shouldn't. And you will go to the lab. I will go to the lab on a Sunday, and everybody was there, you know, because it's just like how things work. And and I was like, I don't. I don't think that that's for me. So it it can be a little bit more complicated than just passion or not passion. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is go to the beach for the 4th of July because then you're sitting there in the sun, like grouchy, because you know your PI is looking at looking at her watch, like wondering when you're going to be back in the lab. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of times it's not the PI because the PI is not there. It's that other postdoc or grad student who's in there who's the one uh, looking down their nose at you. I will say that's one thing that I don't miss at all when I left. Uh, Well, you know, it's funny. I'm still in academia, but I'm not in the lab anymore. And I can very vividly remember, I I remember I started my job in January. And soon after that, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And and our university was closed. And so... (laughs) I remember coming into the office on that day because that's what you do. And of course, no one was there (laughs) because normal people don't come in when the university is closed. (laughs) I thought, oh, wow, this is like a whole new world to me. You just wake up with night sweats because you think your cells are going to die tomorrow. And you're like, I don't have any cells. I I actually still have nightmares that I forgot to feed my cells. Oh, really? Of course. (laughs) You can hear their starving screams. Lady, I wanted to respond to something you said a little bit earlier because I think I think what you said is important and it's part of the the nuance of what we're talking about today, which is you did get joy from the results of the experiment. But what what it sounds like you were saying is the the job you were being pushed towards, maybe in academia, the end result is being a PI, doesn't allow you to do those things. It it inf- instead fills your time with writing grants. Um, trying to get your papers published, trying to manage a group of grad students. Um, so the thing that brought you joy wasn't part of that end result. And so it sounds like what you're saying is, I don't, I don't want to go down this track because that track ends in a, in a place I don't want to be. I'm going to have to veer off. Yes. Yeah, no, exactly that. Because most of the PIs that are there, they don't, they don't go to the bench anymore. They don't, mm-hmm. they just spend their days uh, just writing and teaching and doing all the bureaucratic work that they are not trained to do to begin with. 
Yeah, but it's people like you that I want at the bench. And I think this is one of the problems in the current academic environment. There isn't a place for you if you love the bench, you you love completing the experiments, you love the data that comes out of it, and you, you just want to keep doing that. You, you either have to be a PI or you have right. to leave. There aren't a lot of spaces for research faculty. Um, we call you a postdoc, and, and we'll keep you as a postdoc forever if you're willing, right? right? And, and we'll keep you at the NIH postdoc salaries forever. I that yeah. It depends. I think that there is a limit now, like, for instance, I think that in the NIH, you cannot be a postdoc for longer than five years. And that's been for a while. And I guess that other places are like this as well. So you cannot be a, a postdoc forever. You but can- then there's still no way to like settle in the like sort of middle tier of like the research hierarchy, mm-hmm. right? Like, and that is a problem. It's a, it's a gap. And, and I think we're losing talented yes. people from research science because of it and i think that's really sad mm-hmm. i was a postdoc for nine years and you know I, I guess after the first couple i was like okay i'm not in the place i want to be and being an academic it probably isn't for me and like exploring what it is that might be an alternative like i mean i don't know like i had to get strong i entrepreneurial like i started writing about science and like doing that stuff actually energized me to keep being a postdoc and keep going. And like, if I hadn't had stuff like that, like creative outlets and it's just those things of like, you know, like I decided to start exploring and, you know, like I'm glad I did because it sort of rekindled like, Oh, I have to do other things to still stay in love with science enough to keep doing it for my day job at least. You know, I think one, one stressful thing can be, and and this, this was part of my story when, you know, I was, when I started even my postdoc, I was fairly confident still that I wanted to to be a PI, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily at a research one institution, but at a a small liberal arts institution where I could do teaching and research. But but I very quickly realized that that wasn't going to be fulfilling for me. But I I suddenly had this <laughs> I don't know this real um, anxiety because I had trained for so long to do this certain thing that I didn't know what else I could <laughs> do. And so you know part of me had this thought. Well, I guess I've just this is my lot in life. <laughs> this is the path. Yeah, this is the path I've chosen. So even though I'm not happy and I don't think I want to do this, I don't know what else to do. So I've got to continue on. And so I wonder if a lot of people continue spinning their wheels, especially at that postdoc level, because they don't know how to step off the track. They don't know where to go. Precisely. I yes. Being curious about what else you might do is like a good thing to cultivate in any academic. <laughs> Like, you know, you're curious about the natural world. Also be curious about, hey, what else can I do? Because you might surprise yourself in figuring out like, oh, there are other possibilities. And like having having options, I think, really inspires confidence in people. Yeah, I think that I I think it's good to explore um, other ideas and options because it's something that I wish I had done earlier. And maybe um, Josh and Dan can comment on this a little bit more because you guys deal with this a lot more, but I know that my graduate school PI was really great. And my postdoc PI, PI was really great. And if you're listening, you both are very awesome, but um, <laughs> they also were very focused on the lab and had this idea that if you were in grad school, the idea that you were going, you're going to go do a postdoc and you're going to go um, out and become a PI. And if you're doing a postdoc, then your job is to get a PI and that all this other stuff is kind of extraneous. So I was sort of discouraged from doing that. And I know that people in other labs 
their PIs outright forbid them to go to any, like, if you were in the lab between, like, 9 and, like, 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., this is where you are. If you're going to go to some, I don't know, postdoc workshop on something or another, that's a waste of your time. That's an hour that of your time that I don't get back. And I'm not quite sure, like, giving people advice for that, or if you guys have any thoughts on that. Like, maybe it was just, like, my, maybe just a couple of PIs at my institution. No, I definitely have thoughts on that. And, you know, that's something that hopefully is starting to change, but not all PIs are in the same same place with that. But I, but I will say one thing that Dan and I talk about all the time on our show is is making sure that, that grad students and postdocs realize that being a grad student, especially being a grad student, is is a very temporary period of time. That's not a final destination. And postdoc also, it's a stepping stone to somewhere else, right? And 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 what what you all are talking about is absolutely true. Yes, doing your science is a really key part of your training and learning to be a scientist. But exploring that next step and building the skills you need to transition into something else is equally important part of that training. And and one thing I'll say to to your point. Um, so at UNC, in our office, we offer lots of career and professional development activities, and we've certainly experienced some pushback from certain faculty, um, either directly to us or we've heard through through trainees um, that, oh, well, I don't like my student doing this workshop or going to this career event. But so what we started doing is... Tough because, cookies. Well, so, you know, we're all former, you know... You know, we're all science background people as well. So we collected a lot of data and we started taking attendance at all of our workshops. And we have a very um, clear idea of who are the, the students who are coming to these career and professional development activities. And you'll be glad to know that the data we now have shows that the students who participate more in these professional development and career development activities actually graduate more quickly than the students who don't come to anything. And so we've started, we've been very vocal about those results to our own faculty. And we're starting to share those results more broadly as a way to counter this myth that allowing your trainees time out of the lab to explore their careers is somehow inhibiting their productivity because the data shows that the opposite is actually the case. Yeah, like I said, I, I can just speak to my experience with writing my science blog. Like, but yeah, like it absolutely is not a distraction to me because it allowed me to love science more. So. Yeah, and it's impossible for you to focus yourself like eight, 12 hours of your day every day. You need to have breaks. And sometimes this going to a talk and seeing something else, it's, it's a nice break for you to kind mm -hmm. of like refresh, think about other things and then come back and then focus on your research. Well, and a little free piece of advice for any graduate students listening. The best way to graduate is to have a job. Have a job lined up, and you go to your committee and say, look, I, I've, I've finished A, B, and C on the things that we've talked about, and they're waiting for me to start, so could we wrap this up? If you say, I've done A, B, and C, but I guess I could do D, F, G, and H, and they're like, yeah, I guess you could, <laughs> couldn't you? And, and then you'll have to do it, right? So... So having that, that deadline, having that place to go, it also convinces them that they've done their job. You are now employable. You've got your postdoc right. lined up. You've got a job in an industry. You, you've got a job in something else. And then they can look at you and say, well, you know, we've done what we needed to do because you're ready for the next thing. Easier said than done. Yeah, and the, whenever you're in graduate school, normally you don't think ahead of time. So you you kind of like you're so focused on your little research on your data on your 
um, everything in your lab that you kind of just think about your dissertation or your paper or the next step, the next day, the next experiment, and you it's easy to forget the big picture and, and see what you're going to do next. And I think that now universities, I feel like they're starting to get more programs like the one that Josh was talking about, like more um, alternative, I'm talking like on quotes, uh, alternative careers for academia, because to try to avoid that thing that, oh, if you're doing, if you're in graduate school, if you're doing a postdoc, that's the, the path. That's the only path. That's the normal path, whatever right. you want to call that's it. That's the path you should be putting your energies into. Yeah. 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 And I feel like now it's getting better. But then how do you start that process? Like, so this is where it comes back to, like, I mean, if you're a postdoc or a graduate student who's never considered anything else, like, you know, but the academic path, like, where do you begin to even think about <laughs> you know, what else is out there. So like the first thing is like figuring out where you are and then figure out where you can go, <laughs> like from where you are and just start figuring out like, okay, what resonates with you that, you know, is different. Like, you know, like the stupid example for me is like, oh yeah, like I should have been a writer long before I started actually writing on the internet. And it's just like, you know, like I ignored that voice for a very long time until I didn't. And then, you know, like interesting things have happened because I started doing it. I think Ian, your example is a really excellent one, and you said it earlier in the in the podcast. Um, you started doing something, and I think that's where I think that's where we all get stuck. We say, "Well, I don't know what I want, therefore, I'm just going to sit here until maybe somebody brings me an opportunity." And, and that does not. I mean, maybe it works once for somebody somewhere, but it's not going to work for most people. And so, I think this this idea that if I start doing something that I do like, even it has, it seems like it has nothing to do with science or my career or, or anything. What it does is I think it, it unlocks that part of your brain that shuts down when you're feeling that depressed trap state. And it gives you some energy. It gives you some creativity. And even if the thing you choose has nothing to do with that, that joy you took, maybe you're writing, um, maybe you're programming, maybe you're playing an instrument. I don't care what it is. Um, it, it unlocks other parts where you're able to see opportunities. You're going to meet people through that activity. You're going to network with them. And, and I think that's where it starts to open up. A lot of trainees have a limit in what they can imagine because they've not been exposed to anything beyond, okay, well, I can do industry or academia, I guess. Uh, but, but List the jobs that include pipetting. I can do any of those. <laughs> that's right. What are your skills? <laughs> pipetting, PCR, uh, biking to work. Uh, <laughs> But Free yeah. pizza finding. <laughs> That's true. Good at that. Yeah. Uh, but really, there's so many things that are out there uh, for you with a PhD, but often you don't know what those things are, I think. And that's what I think you're getting at, Ian. So maybe if there is advice, it's trying to connect with people outside of just academic researchers in your field. But maybe it is getting on Twitter or going to a career event or just, mm -hmm. you know, and this is going to be hard for the introverts, 
But if you see somebody who's doing something that seems really cool, if you're envious, like, oh, I wish I had their job. Well, you know what? Get in contact with them and see if they can sit down or Skype with you um, just to talk about what they do. And that can really be a motivating factor. You can start to then imagine yourself doing that thing um, and gives you um, something to make your map towards, I guess. Yeah, like that's how I started. I was a very shy introvert. And like, by the way, Twitter's a godsend for introverted people. (laughs) Yeah, you will be amazing how people are willing to help. Most of the people, they even they're busy. uh, They find out sometime if you ask them for uh, if you're far away Skype or phone interview. Normally, people they are willing to help you. And and people, especially if you want to know more what they do, people love to talk about themselves. They love to talk about what they do and how they are and how they deal with things. So it's kind of like a win-win situation. Spoken like a person with a podcast, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's actually what I was going to say, that I think that we, the five of us, it seems that we could talk the whole night and we can still keep going and going you know one thing one experience that i've had was i can remember especially towards the end of my my phd and certainly as a postdoc you know it got to the point as a microbiologist i needed to come into the lab every sunday night and start my cultures and there were very few things that i hated more (laughs) than dragging myself into the lab on sunday night to start my cultures and you know, I worked, I worked, well, I don't want to say I worked really hard in those <laughs> days. <laughs> I was feeling demotivated. Um, but, you know, now I'm in a job that's very fulfilling to me. Uh, I feel like it's a good fit for me and what I'm passionate about and who I am as a person. And when I really stopped to think about it, I work a lot harder now mm-hmm. than I worked during my final um, months and year as a postdoc. I probably put in more hours of actual working time now than I did then. I will lots of times put in a few hours um, on Saturday, on Sunday. But the crazy thing is, it doesn't feel like I'm doing nearly as much work as it felt like when I was a postdoc and that was not a good fit for me. So I think maybe that's a litmus test is, is, is gauging what's the amount of work that I'm doing versus how much work does it feel like I'm doing? Because I think when you really find that, that thing that you're passionate about and that also is a good fit for you as a person, then suddenly you work hard, not because you feel guilty or because you feel like you have to, but because like Lady said earlier, like, because you really want to find the answer, you really want to get the task done. Um, so may, maybe that's something to strive for is putting yourself in a position and with a career where you work not because of guilt, not because of obligation, but because um, you feel just driven to accomplish it. Yeah, and I, I'd like to throw in my two cents at the end here too. Um, I, I don't think we've answered the question, how do you know when it's time to leave academia? But I hope that we've given some symptoms and signs for when it's time to make a change. And I, I, think, I think that's what we've gotten to. That's as far as we've come. We, we've said um, when, when the good things are not joyful, when it feels like you're dragging, when you're starting to notice symptoms of depression, um, maybe that means it's time to look for a different lab or different research or um, to change context, so, do something, take on a, a side project, start to write, do something different. At that point, um, don't let it go further without making some kind of change. And if that leads you out of the lab and out of academia, 
uh, there there's a great podcast recovering <laughs> academics to support you in that. <laughs> And and there are, there are so many other people who are are having uh, great experiences after that fact. So I think um, that's how I would that's how I would summarize yeah. it. Dan, it's so fun to to talk to other people who really are wrestling with a lot of the same questions and thoughts that that we talk about from week to week. That's what struck me immediately as we got on uh, to a Skype call with them they're going through the same things that it's 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 so um meaningful to me to see that we're really all um, experiencing some similar uh, trials in our scientific training and the way that we get through that is by talking about it. and that's exactly what they're doing i loved it mm-hmm. yeah so this obviously was a little bit of a different episode this week we wanted to um cross post this content because we thought it was really good with with their audience and our audience if you're not listening to the recovering academic podcast and you're you're thinking about stepping off of that academic track or maybe you are off of that track um, certainly give their podcast a listen if you haven't already dan i think what we'll do is we'll just leave it there and we will come back next time with our standard um, episode fair i'll save the answer to the etymology puzzle till next time that sounds like a good thing. Um, so I did want to say, if you have a topic or question, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at hellophd.com, or you can send us a tweet at hellophd or leave us a message on the Facebook page. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. We love the feedback, and it helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, and click on the Become a Patron button. Or you can visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We'd appreciate the beer money. Thanks to all of our patrons. And Dan, thanks to you for coming over to talk again this week. All right. We'll see you next time, Josh. See you next time.